You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas, a longtime MMA journalist, novelist, and podcaster. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie and USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, we day of reckoned on Friday night. Yeah, we did. Everybody mostly survived. Yeah, it was not bad. A good time was had by all. You know, in a way, yeah. I'm not going to lie, the day of reckoning pay-per-view turned out to have a lot more downbeats than I had anticipated. Are you specifically talking about when Matt Lindland nearly got murdered by Vitor Belfort, and then the Day of Reckoning people thought a fun thing to do would be to go backstage and interview Matt Lindland's coaches, which included the now-deceased Robert Follis and Dan Henderson, standing there alongside Vitor because Matt Lindland had been transported to the hospital. Yeah, that's one of the things. I was also thinking, in addition to that, the moment that we realized that Vitor's coach was the now-deceased Sean Tompkins, and Matt Lindland's coach was the now-deceased Robert Fallis, and the now-deceased lead singer of Static X was also walking people to the ring, standing. He must have looked like he won a damn contest or something, because <laughs> he's standing there behind everybody while they walk to the cage. So there were some uh, somber moments, let's yeah. just say. Uh-huh, there were. Uh, on the positive side, though, I don't know if you know this, but my shirt had actual metal studs in it. Yeah. No, I was uh, I was forced to touch your shirt several that's right. times. Uh, that's right. It got to the point you couldn't keep your little model hands off me. Yeah. There you were you while. were forced to rub my torso it was, in order to feel the metal studs. It was. Did you feel the studs when you did it? I felt a stud, and it was uh-huh. awkward. Yeah. It was very awkward. Yeah. Uh, we also sampled some proper twelve whiskey. Yeah, it turned out the big special guest you've been teasing was a bottle of Conor McGregor's own. Mm-hmm. The proper yeah. 12. So now we know what that's like. You know what's going to be the real test of how bad a whiskey proper 12 is? How long it actually stays in my house. Because I'll tell you what, normally I get a bottle of whiskey, you know, you, you nip into it a little bit after bedtime for the kids. Sitting around uh, staring outside at the darkened street thinking about your life, drinking a little whiskey. And next thing you know... Week or two, that thing's gone. The proper 12, that might stick around for a while. More like improper 12. Am I right? Uh, Am I right? Let's work on that one. Am I right? No. I was thinking in the wake of that, how very on-brand it is for Conor McGregor to use his celebrity to trick his fans into paying too much money for, like, pretty bad whiskey. Probably not the worst whiskey I've ever had. No. But, like, pretty bad. You know the feeling where, like, when you're out at a bar and you've passed a certain threshold and you're going up to the bartender and you're like, ah, we want some shots, some shots of whiskey. And they're like, do you care what kind? And you're like, no. And then they just take out the little gun and, like, put push the whiskey button. And, yeah, well, and, well whiskey. And, and, but, like, literally just from a giant well, not just, like, <laughs> whatever the bar regards as their well whiskey. It's That feeling... Of when you're going, no, I don't care. Just give me some whiskey. That feeling is what it tastes like. What proper 12 tastes like. And what it's counting on. Yes. Well, we're rolling out of UFC Prague this week, Ben, and rolling straight into UFC 235 Fight Week. We got a lot of stuff to talk about, so I see no reason 
to waste time before we get to it. Remember, if you want to support the show, Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes t-shirts and Dundasso t-shirts are available on demand all the time, whenever you want them, over at CottonBureau.com. Just go over to CottonBureau.com and pick up some CME merchandise. We got music again today from our longtime listener and friend of the show, Ras Jarborg. If you like what you hear from him on this episode, you can check out more over at SoundCloud.com slash S-T-H-L-M-Rass. You know, I started following uh, Ras Jarborg on the gram. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Keeping up on all his like ski adventures and stuff over there in Sweden. How's that going for him and you? It's going pretty well for me because... Sweden just seems like a fucking rad place, man. Just seems like he's always just having cool, fun Swedish times. Yeah. Makes sh- me a little jealous. The show that I am recommending in this week's tip for the tips for the well-rounded fight fan is Norwegian. And one of the of reasons to watch it is because you get to see Oslo. And that looks like a fucking cool place to visit. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast in round number one. From middle finger emojis to an interim title shot, the Dustin Poirier story. And in round number two, Tyron Woodley versus Kamaru Usman is a welterweight title fight that matches two fearsome tacticians at the top of their game. And whoever wins is probably going to get immediately buried by Dana White. And in round number three, if Anthony Smith beats John Jones Saturday night, is it a sign that MMA is a wondrous and complex sport full of nuance and unexpected beauty? Or that this whole thing is just a goddamn crapshoot? All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first... Like we always do about this time. Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Mr. David. All right. Do you think that's first name or last name? Do you think his name is like Seth David? What if it's Larry David? Or David Seth? I think it's Larry David. You think it's the famous comedian yeah. Larry David? He is. He doesn't want to... He wants his question to get on the show by its own merit. He doesn't want to like name drop and be like, hey, by the way, I'm Larry David. I'm kind of a famous person. You should put my question on the show. So he goes with Mr. David. I respect it. Well, that would be the day because all of the non-famous people who email us do, in fact, email us under famous names. See, that's what he sees all these like show off European soccer players. And it's like, that's in poor taste. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that guy. Good for you, Larry David. I respect that. He writes, can Tiago Santos be more than Mr. Fun overseas knockout guy? Or is he, is is he an it is what it is type situation? Hmm. Okay. Good, Good question. Yeah, because we got to see Tiago Santos this past weekend in the main event of UFC Prague taking on Jan Blachowicz. He wins via third round TKO, and this was a little bit more of a patient performance from Tiago Santos right up to the moment that he knocks Jan Blachowicz down and then goes full on. Uh, berserker warhammer yeah. hammer fists to Donkey close Kong the show smash kind there. Of thing. But you did get to see a little bit of craft yeah. from Tiago Santos well, in this fight. Because Jan Blockwood's made him, basically. It seemed like Jan Blockwood's plan was, all right, you know the guy's dangerous early when he's just throwing them heaters in the first couple minutes of a fight. If you frustrate him, make him kind of chase and lunge after you, maybe he'll get tired out. Maybe he'll, he'll just get frustrated and he'll do something dumb. And... Play that game for, you know, use all five rounds, basically. It seemed like that was his plan. And yet in the third round, I don't know if he felt like, all right, the trap is sprung. Now's the time. Now I've really got him. Because then he did the exact thing that seemed like he was trying to get uh, Santos to do. He just charged right in there, ran right into the guy's fists. And it was like, 
I can't tell if that was part of the plan or if you lost patience to keep up with your own plan. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's hard to imagine Tiago Santos jumping up and being a serious threat to the to those very, very, very good light heavyweights. We've talked a lot about on this show about how the talent pool is thin at light heavyweight and the 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 amount of goodness that you need to possess between being able to beat the people in the mediocre pack and the people in the elite pack is pronounced. Yeah. Like there's a huge gap there. Now Tiago Santos is nine and one in his last ten fights. He's three and zero oh since moving up to light heavyweight with three stoppages. He beat your boy Eric Anders. He beat Jimmy Manua. He beat Jan Blakovitz. He's a fun guy to have around. He is. If you're having a light heavyweight party at your house, you definitely want Tiago Santos to show up, take his shirt off and expose the giant Warhammer tattoo on his chest. I mean, why wouldn't you want that? Also, beat your boy Anthony Smith, who he will beat, fight for the title this week. Beat weekend. Anthony Smith in a middleweight fight. Anthony Smith about to fight for the 205-pound title against John Jones this weekend. We'll talk about that later in the show. If they told me, hey, we're going to set up a light heavyweight title fight featuring Tiago Santos, he's going to fight the winner of John Jones versus Anthony Smith, I would be like, okay. Assuming that that person is John Jones, I can't say that I would feel all that bullish about Tiago Santos's chances to win, but that also doesn't necessarily differentiate himself from anyone else. Right. So I guess my question to you is, how do you think of Tiago Santos at this point? Is he a capital G guy at 205 or is he more like, hey, Tiago Santos is fun. Let's, you know, show up to watch him fight a, a thousand yawn Blockovitzes. Mainly it's that. Yeah. More than capital G guy. Also somebody who I would think, all right, if John Jones is going to do his thing where 2019 is the year he defends the title just a whole bunch, even in fights where we don't think the other guy has a great chance, but who the hell else is there, and we still want to make up for some lost time and see John Jones get out there and do the damn thing, he's not a terrible guy to have to throw in there. Sure. Especially, he's got the the puncher's chance, as it were. It's basically a very similar sales proposition to what you had when you were going to have John Jones fight Anthony Rumble Johnson. He's not he doesn't quite have the yeah. the terrifying overwhelming immediate fight changing power that Anthony Johnson did but it's a similar kind of thing that you're offering and it's not the worst thing in the world I mean you can make something out of it especially if the idea is we just want to see John Jones fight because for a guy who is so great he hasn't been in action very often recently Yeah now in the crazy alternate universe where Anthony Smith wins the light heavyweight title and then gets on the mic and has to try to be humble as he said in front of all those haters all the people who said they didn't have a chance and then you got Tiago Mejeta Santos jumping up there to be like hey I beat this guy before I can do it again I'm next in line let's go now are we then having so much fun it's stupid or so much stupid it's just stupid uh, in this fictional scenario, did John Jones suffer some sort of terrible injury at the hands of Anthony Smith? Because if not... Knocked out cold. Knocked all, out cold in the first round. All those other light heavyweights going to have to buckle up and wait for the rematch, right? Like if Anthony... The one thing that we know about this sport is that if Anthony Smith beats John Jones, we're doing it again, brother. Body kick, uh, three punch combo, John Jones just laid out. Bunch of broken ribs, let's say, can't fight. How about this? Anthony Smith just beats him pillar to post. Still, still they, would, for they would run rounds. They would still run it back. You know this is true. Beats him so badly that John Jones has to take some time to go find himself. Okay, there you go. He needs to find his waterfall. Yes. Get the butterflies to fly in formation. That's right. 
I'm going to say it would be Affliction Day of Reckoning streaming event stupid. So the people can draw their own conclusions. Okay. Maybe right up to the line. <laughs> Tiptoeing along the line of so stupid it, it's not even worth doing, but people seem to enjoy it. So bring it on. Can you main event a pay-per-view with that fight, or are we talking that's ESPN Plus? For the light heavyweight title? The man who beat John Jones? A lot of people better be seeing that belt on the poster on the wall of their local Buffalo Wild Wings. We're just, uh, we're kind of firmly into a speculative fiction territory here. Maybe we should just back off. Yeah. Before anything bad happens. Next question this week comes to us from Mike Oxmall, who writes, All right. Will Peter Yan be the bantamweight champion by the end of 2020? Yes or hell yes. Discourse, please. <laughs> uh, your boy Peter Yan looked good. Uh, a lot to like about Peter Yan. Yeah. Number one, he's from Siberia, which is basically the Montana of Russia. So I'm on board with that. Uh, well, okay. Let me look out the window right now. Right. That but, looks like a place you would get sent if you violated a law and you had to go to the camps. Yeah. No, I mean, right now, it's pretty bad out there. It's just, I guess I'm just trying to... Wind blowing snow sideways Russia. out there. I shoveled a three-foot drift away from the from the gate so you could even get in here today. And it's already pretty bad out there. I know, it was like two hours ago. Yeah. It's like 30 mile an hour winds or some crazy yet, shit happening. still showed up and we're doing the damn thing. Let's just give ourselves some credit for that. Now, another thing I like about Peter Yan. Yeah. Nickname No Mercy, which, okay. I would ulti- which I would usually be against. I just feel like for no smiling Siberian ass Peter Yan, that's a pretty cool nickname. Yeah. It also lets you know what to expect. Surely this guy will show me some mercy. No? Oh. Well, okay. I stand corrected. No mercy. 26 years old, so barely getting started in terms of an MMA lifespan. Had a lot of amateur boxing fights before he became a professional MMA fighter. Beats John Dodson this weekend via unanimous decision. Dodson, obviously, uh, you know, a top contender. Fought for the title at flyweight a couple times. Beat former bantamweight champion TJ Dillashaw way back in the day. A tough guy. A great all-around fighter. Peter Yan, you know, made him look pretty mortal uh, throughout the whole thing. He's Peter just Yon, all over him. Peter Yan did get dropped once, but other than that, it was mostly the Peter Yan show out there against John Dodson, who's a super tough guy. A lot to like about Peter Yan. The way he throws those straight punches are are deadly. You know what? The, the thing that I honestly thought was the most impressive about him in this fight was kind of the last round where we got to see him wrestle a little bit, and he did some good stuff. Like, he did some good stuff on the mat to John Dodson, who's a guy who knows knows what he's doing down there. So to me, you know, just to speak to the all-around uh, skill set of Peter Yan, I thought was important, because clearly you come to this thing with these striking skills, the Achilles heel is going to be that everybody wants to take you down. Well, He made it look tough. And in that division, there's a lot of people who can. Yeah. So I think there's there's good reason to have pretty high hopes about Peter Yan. If I was going to say anything, and this is probably unfair... But I feel like this John Dodson fight on the main card of this ESPN Plus show against a guy who is slotted to be a test for you, it would have been nice to see Peter Yan do something extraordinary. Like a stoppage, you know, really knock the guy out. Had he done that, I would look at this and be like, yes, bullet train to the top for Peter Yan. As it is, I look at him and I think, super tough guy, show me some more. Yeah, well, here's what I wonder is what the arc toward the top looks like for Peter Yan. I, I like what he's doing kind of right now. He seems like kind of tactical about where the next steps could be. Heard him talking about Jimmy Rivera 
you know, uh, you look at bantamweight right now, and you've got a situation where you have several people who are making strong claims for a top contendership, you know, mainly Marlon Moraes, and you're wondering what is going on with the champion. Like, is he going to insist on this Henry Cejudo thing? Is TJ Dillashaw going to actually just go back and try to reassert himself as bantamweight champion? What's the next move there? One thing you have on your side, if you're 26 years old, is time to kind of let it all sort itself out. You don't have to make it all happen right now, which is good news because it seems like kind of a mess up there. Next question is what week comes to us from Gabe Dirt, who writes, So Dana White is denying GSP the chance to break the records and become a three-way champion. Obviously still upset about George leaving the last two times two titles behind, but do you think he should really get out of the way here? I mean, look at what this guy is like without Lorenzo around to reel him in. Habib wants it, fans want it, Endeavor wants money. So is it really just him? My question is, does this sport really need Dana White anymore? Ah, we talked about Whoa. Dana White. That that question did take a turn. Yeah, yeah I was not end. really. I was expecting us to end up. I mean, we had a pretty lengthy discussion about Dana White and whether or not he's the perfect guy for the sport. You know, a month or two ago, uh, George St. Pierre retired last week. We talked about it at length on Friday's Power Hour, but I still feel like uh, it deserves some attention here on the Co-Main Event Podcast proper. And I think that for the most part, Gabe Dirt's sentiment here is the right one. GSP seems to want to fight Habib Nurmagomedov. Habib Nurmagomedov seems to want to fight GSP. That fight would score a, a pretty big buy rate for the UFC. But GSP says the UFC has other plans. I talked about on the Power Hour on Friday that I feel like that tips the hand of the UFC a little bit. Because there's feel- only one thing that right. could be bigger than that. Do you feel like we are losing something significant by not having George St. Pierre go down to 155 for an incredible stylistic matchup against Habib Nurmagomedov with that third weight class title on the line and up for grabs for George. I feel like it would be a good opportunity to do something big that felt really big and like a momentous fight. It does put us in a weird situation, though, because if we're going to complain that we're tired of the super fight bullshit, that we want champions to fight number one contenders and restore a little order to the title picture in some of these divisions, then we can't also turn around and be like, but why wouldn't you let GSP show up in another weight class that he's never fought in, basically fight once and then disappear regardless of the result. But then at the same time, if, I mean, we'll talk about this more in in round one, I guess, that if you're coming up with an interim lightweight title while Nurmagomedov is on the shelf for suspension reasons, and then he's, you know, says he's going to sit out the rest of it in solidarity with his bros, and you're one of the guys who they're trying to get to fight for the interim title, how confident can you be that holding the interim lightweight title will get you a shot at Khabib? Especially if you say that if you feel like the UFC tipped their hand that what they're really looking at is a Conor McGregor rematch for Khabib. Because otherwise, what am I doing if I'm fighting for the interim title and you already have in mind you know what Khabib's going to do when he comes back and it's not going to be fight the, the guy who has the fake belt? Right. I mean, I would think if you're one of those 155-pound contenders, you probably are not naive enough to to think that the UFC doesn't want to do a Conor McGregor Habib Nurmagomedov rematch, these guys should all be realists about that at this point. Uh, and I guess you know, especially you know, if you're a guy like Dustin Poirier or uh, Max Holloway moving up to this to 155 to have this fight, the fighter way to think about it, I guess, is that here's your chance to kind of like steal the thunder away from that rematch and do something 
you know, kind of like Kelvin Gastelum was able to do outside the cage, but like have a have a highlight reel finish or do something in this fight that makes it impossible for them to ignore you. Kind of force their hand a little bit. When those guys are, are, are both back in action. Well, so the GSP thing, basically, if your concern is that he's going to do he's going to do the Michael Bisping thing again. Yeah. But to Khabib, isn't that a only a problem if he wins? Yeah. I mean, if he goes out there and he loses, it kind of puts Khabib over. Because then Khabib is the guy who beat Conor McGregor, and then he beat George St. Pierre. And he's been in, at that point, probably two of your biggest selling pay-per-views. Of, if not all time, then at least in recent memory. And you'd think that some of that's got to rub off on him for whatever he does after that, right? Yeah. I'm, it's possible that this suspension is just kind of throwing a wrench in the whole thing. Because, you know, if you could book Khabib Nurmagomedov versus George St. Pierre next month, I see no reason not to do that. Like one way or another, you come up with a, 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 a surefire big selling opponent for Conor McGregor for his next fight. But maybe they just feel like, okay, we already got to wait for Nurmagomedov to come back from this suspension. There's no way we would risk a rematch with Conor McGregor by slating this GSP versus Nurmagomedov fight, you know, for the fall. Sometimes it's sometime anything could happen. One guy could get hurt. GSP could win, you know, whatever. Maybe they're maybe the UFC is moving forward under the strict order that Habib Nurmagomedov versus Conor McGregor two must happen. Yeah, or just a possibility to consider. It's pure spite. You're mad at GSP because of he did the thing that you really made him promise to you, or whatever. Dana White said that they thought he had like an understanding. Whatever you really wanted most to not happen is exactly what happened. And you feel like, you know what? Fuck that guy. We're not going to go through that shit again. Well, that would be short-sighted and nonsensical almost. And exactly the kind of thing that we might expect from the UFC. The only thing making me think that it would not be the case is just the sheer financial calculation that you would make where you would look at it and you'd be like, all right, I love to hold a grudge from Dana White and I love to act out of spite at times. But I love money more than all of that. And this would make a ton of money. Right, yeah. And money is obviously the uh, the walking order of the day over at the UFC. Like, Endeavor's trying to get the money back that they laid out to buy the thing in the first place. You would think that they would make as many big fights as they possibly could. Maybe they just think that Habib Nurmagomedov versus Conor McGregor 2 is so big that not even, you know, 900,000 or a million pay-per-view buys or whatever you would get out of GSP would be worth it. I don't yeah, know. Maybe. Next question this week comes to us from the Cheeseburger Walrus, who writes, It's kind of flying under the radar, but Funky Ben Askren's UFC debut is finally happening this weekend. They traded away one of the goats in Mighty Mouse to get this guy. So does he need an impressive W over Lawler to make it seem justified, or does it not even matter because they're phasing out 125 anyway? Discourse. So the, yeah, this is a main card fight on UFC 235 this weekend. Robbie Lawler versus Ben Askren. Ben Askren's a long-awaited Octagon debut. It's the it's the top non-title fight on the card. What are your expectations here for funky Ben Askren? Coming in, he got them jokes. <laughs> he he's, does. Uh, like, he, like he'll do. He's uh, He's got a, a pretty big reputation to try to back up here. A guy we've been waiting to see in the UFC for a long time. What do you expect from him? What does he need to do? To impress Ben Folks. Well, for Ben Askren, this is a must win, right? Like, his whole thing is built on 
kind of not quite the it's not quite the Fedor level of hey nobody beats me and that's my whole appeal, but there is a lot of that. Yeah. And especially since this is, is going to be you know the first UFC fight, first impressions are going to matter a whole lot here because if you go out there. And you get knocked out by Robbie Lawler, which could happen to absolutely anybody on the roster at any time. Then people are going to say, you know what? Obviously, he was never that good. He was fighting tomato cans. Uh, his record is, you know, pumped up by the level of quality or the quality of competition he faced. Well, in Bellator and 1FC, he was a paper tiger to begin with. Nothing to see here. Like, And it'll be hard to battle back from that. I mean, imagine how many big consecutive fights you'd have to win in order to reverse that narrative, which will take hold immediately after a a loss to somebody like Robbie Lawler here. Yeah, I mean, it obviously is they're not giving the guy a tune-up fight. They're not giving him the opportunity to kind of like build himself up in the UFC before they try to do anything big with him. They're throwing him right to the wolves. It's a... uh, it would be a heck of an accomplishment to come in and beat Robbie Lawler in his first fight, one that kind of would make the guy's bones as an immediate title contender in that division and you're right the the like the drop off from there if he loses is pretty severe i don't even like let's say <laughs> all right let's say this let's say ben Askren comes out and gets knocked out by robbie lawler in the first round like robbie lawler is apt to do does he get a takedown let's say he gets one takedown and robbie lawler gets up okay what does the ufc even do with the guy like clearly there's been bad blood over the years things have been said between Ben Askren and, and Dana White, if Ben Askren loses this fight badly, are they just like, look, the guy was never what he said he was. We're washing our hands of him. Or is there some kind of like rehabilitative effort there on the part of the UFC? No, they give him another fight. I don't know if it's a intentionally rehabilitative, but I think they give him another tough fight. And, you know, then they wait and see how it shakes out from there. I don't think that they're out here trying to groom him for a t- title shot necessarily. Like it's not like you're going to then go out there looking the way you would if he was like, you know, stage Northcutt or something where you're going to go looking for somebody that he can beat. I don't think that they would do that for him, but I think that, you know, you give him another chance, but also at his age and all the massive amounts of shit he has talked over the years, you really have to go in there and win. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's an interesting stylistic matchup, just, you know, kind of a classic striker versus grappler thing, but it's also, Two guys who are at their best when they're able to do their stuff. Mm-hmm. And somebody's going to do their stuff here. Yeah, it's Their stuff is so different <laughs> that it's not like they can both you know, kind of get to do it. One guy's going to get to do his stuff and the other guy isn't. Yeah. And that, to me, makes it a legitimately compelling fight. It's almost like a Chael Sonnen moment for Ben Askren. It's like, okay, you talked a bunch of shit. Yeah. You got yourself here. Now what? Now what are you going to do? Last question this week comes to us from Tracy Dickinson, who writes, there's a pretty great card coming up this weekend, but one of the fights I'm most excited about is the prelim between Zabist and Stevens. Barring them both injuring themselves somehow during the walkout, there's no way that this fight could disappoint, right? Well, you jinxed it, Tracy. No, you didn't. Why would you do that? It's going to be fine. Stevens is always a brawler, and Zabit has proven to be an incredibly creative striker slash submission artist. Is this a potential fight of the night, or could the gods of Mount Zion somehow thumb their noses at us and make this one suck somehow. I may be tempting fate. Yes. But I don't believe they have enough power for that. Whoa, oh, no! Why would you do that, Tracy? Don't say, don't. 
Oh, besmirch wow. the name of the MMA god. Hubris. Well, That's what that is. That is hubris. Let's let's run down this preliminary card on ESPN leading up to UFC 235. You got Diego Sanchez versus Mickey Gall. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, Cody Stamon versus Alejandro. Cody uh, Stamon. That's Stamon right. versus Alejandro Perez. Uh, Misha Sirkinov versus Johnny Walker. Oh, I know you love that they one. gave it to me. It's mine. <laughs> really looking forward to that one. And then you got Zabit uh, Magomed Shiropov against Jeremy Stevens as sort of like your, your featured prelim. Another one, as Tracy said, almost certain to be a, a, a crowd-pleasing banger. Yeah. So, like, if you don't have the money to scrape together for UFC 235, you can still have a pretty good time if you have the ESPN. Yeah, I mean, you could just look up from your beer down at the sports bar. Saturday night around like five o'clock and you're in pretty good shape. Yeah. It seems like the UFC really wants to see if it can boost a buy rate with a solid preliminary card on ESPN here because they're throwing everything at you leading into what is essentially a, a pretty good pay-per-view. What right. do you expect? But I mean, it's yeah, a go good, ahead. They're, they're right to do something like that though, yeah, especially for absolutely. this, because it is a solid pay-per-view. And yet at the same time, if you're not inside the bubble already, uh, and you hear UFC 235, Jones versus Smith. That sounds like the most cookie cutter, like made up shit you could possibly think of. It just sounds like, it's just like, so like you just took two names out of the phone book. Yes, it does. John Jones and yes. Anthony Smith. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, you do need a little bit of something to, you know, juice this up so that you show people like, Hey, this is actually going to be awesome. If you, get a chance to like kind of sit back and educate yourself about who is actually on this fight card and who, you know what it means and what they've done and, and who's fighting this. This one is really worth the money. And so a strong undercard on ESPN, especially ending with a banger, you know how the UFC loves to do that. They kind of leave you feeling like, all right, we're having a good time. I don't want the party to end. Let me go ahead and drop my credit card down and, and make this happen. Uh, and again, I'm not going to tempt the MMA gods the way Tracy Dickinson just did, where you know she basically you know stood there proclaiming the that there's no way God Himself could not sink this ship right before the Titanic sails off. Uh, but you do look at these guys, and I'm trying to imagine just how it would happen that Jeremy Stevens and your boy the Beast don't have themselves a crackerjack of a fight, and I can't imagine the scenario. Magomed Sharapov comes in 16 and one, but he hasn't lost in five years. Uh, he's won four in a row in the UFC, but Jeremy Stevens is a pretty big jump up in competition. Magomed Sharapov is one of these guys where uh, hardcore fans are fanning themselves and pulling their collars out when they see this guy coming because he's been uh, everything that he's been billed to be up to this point. Jeremy Stevens obviously still working on uh, sort of rekindling himself here at featherweight, though he's had his ups and downs. He is three and one in his last four, though that one was a TKO loss to Jose Aldo in July of last year. So uh, Jeremy Stevens has reached that point in his career, uh, despite the fact that he's only 32, where he is, he's the measuring stick here. Right? Well, I mean, that's is his role, basically, in this fight. Is like, if you can get past Jeremy Stevens, then you're somebody that we take seriously. Yes. And also, if you are who we think you are, Zabit, the guy who can do a little bit of everything then you shouldn't have that much of a problem with Jeremy Stevens. Because, you know, not that he is a one-trick pony exactly, but you can kind of watch tape on Jeremy Stevens and know what you're dealing with. And it's a question of, can you deal with it? 
And you think, you know, everything we've seen so far out of Magomed Sharapov makes you think he can deal with it. Yeah. He's got a really well-rounded game and he can just keep throwing all kinds of different stuff at you. He ought to be able to beat a guy like Jeremy Stevens. And this does feel like this is the fight to find out if he is going to be a capital G guy. Or if he's going to get knocked the fuck out. Kind of an embarrassment of riches in terms of light or young featherweights coming up in the yeah. game. Pretty weird time for your featherweight champion to go for an interim lightweight title. Yeah. Yeah. Go on a, a vision quest to walk about perhaps to 155. Perhaps we should talk about that some more. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you've got questions, comments, concerns that you want to air to the co-main event podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. And if you don't like it, well, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, this would be a great week for the kids at home to junk bomb the co-main event podcast Patreon. Leading up to UFC 235 this weekend. We just rolled out the Day of Reckoning streaming event on Friday night. This week we're going to have tips for the well-rounded fight fan coming at you. We're going to have the Patreon Power Hour, just like we do every Friday. An extra 60 minutes of the co-main event podcast. You and me just chopping it up. Loosey-goosey. Yeah. Just exploring the space. Figuring out what everyone's thinking, taking deep dives into various topics. It's a fun time. We think you'll like it. Another episode of Road Agents, our Deadwood Rewatch podcast, comes out on Wednesday. Tips for the well-rounded fight fan. Did I say that already? I think it's you did. too much stuff. The, I'm too excited the about live it. Chat, the live chat. Live chat on Wednesday. Chat. I'm telling you, man, this would be a great week. How, to, how about this? Am I coming over to your house for UFC 235 so we can do a uh, an instant reaction podcast? <sighs> You know, that seems like something we could do. We could really make a night of it. You know what? I think I still have some proper 12 sitting oh, around. Oh, good. Yeah. Wow. Also, still really shaping up. Still got some of those Tech 9 wheat, coconut, suntan oil infused beers that Danny Down sent that I knew you enjoyed so much. Yum. Yeah. Let's get it on. Uh huh. Go over to patreon.com slash co main event and join that today. You get yourself into a ton of fun stuff. Ben, what the heck is going on in the lightweight division? I feel like I went to sleep one night. And Dustin Poirier's out here uh, tweeting middle finger emojis and telling these guys to cut him. The next thing I know, I turn around, he and Max Holloway are fighting for the interim 155-pound title at UFC 236. Yeah, that's a turn of events. That's a WTF moment for me personally. That's what you call that. Okay, so far it seems like, at the time of this recording, the most robust explanation we've received of how this all happened has come from Dustin Poirier. Because he gave an interview to uh, MMA Junkie where he basically explained how the situation came together from his perspective, which was the UFC explaining that what they wanted to do was uh, Tony Ferguson. They wanted Tony Ferguson in that fight, uh, and they were going to do Tony Ferguson versus Max Holloway for the interim lightweight title. But basically, if one of them didn't want it, then he was going to get it. And Tony Ferguson didn't want it. And... 
we can only kind of speculate at this point exactly why, what's going on with Tony Ferguson. He posted a statement saying essentially that he took some unnecessary damage last year and went through some trials and tribulations, what with you know, injuries and uh, losing one interim title already that was stripped from him. Then he has that fight against Anthony Pettis. Maybe he just physically didn't feel like he could be at his best to commit for an April bout. So, you know, if that's the case, then you can't really blame him for that. I could also see how maybe if you're Tony Ferguson and the UFC is like, hey, how about you fight for another one of those interim titles that we already took from you once? Like, jump on back on on this train that already derailed for you once. I could see how maybe you'd be like, nah, I'm good. I think maybe I'll sit this one out. Yeah. I've been doing this for a long time, and I still feel like I have no earthly idea how the UFC is going to react to any kind of statement or uh, uh, outburst from a fighter. Still have no idea. Dustin Poirier, you know, I, you know, getting on the internet and telling these guys to cut you and, and tweeting a middle finger emoji could either get you blackballed or just sat on the bench for months without a fight or, you know, 48 hours later or something, fight for the title, man. Yeah. Go ahead. Go Why fight not? for the interim title. Mm-hmm. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. And then you got Tony Ferguson, who I think if he's trying to uh, look after his own physicality, his own well-being, you got to respect him for it. But I also feel like that's probably a lot less popular decision around the the Zufa LLC slash Endeavor hallways than a guy tweeting the middle finger. Yeah, see, maybe this is what it comes down to. Maybe it's you can tweet all the middle fingers you want and you can play, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin all you want. And to an extent, it's even good for business um, from the UFC's perspective that everybody loves a little bit of beefing with the boss in uh, fight sports. But when the time comes to sign on the line, which is dotted... You need to be there to do that. Like That's the thing that will really get them mad is not stepping up and agreeing to the fights that they want to make. Like That's the thing they won't forgive that easily. Tweeting all kind of threats and emojis. Hey, that's just, that's just good fun. That can even just be some kayfabe that you're up to there. True, true. Uh, as long as you make the fight happen that they want to have happen. Max Holloway, featherweight champion. We just talked at the beginning of the show about how Featherweight right now is an embarrassment of riches in terms of up-and-coming talent, none of which might be ready to jump in there and main event a pay-per-view opposite Max Holloway. I feel like it's understandable to me that this guy would want to test the waters at 155. In many ways, that's sort of the marquee division right now with Habib Nurmagomedov and Conor McGregor, uh, George St. Pierre up till his retirement last Thursday talking about... uh, going down there to try his luck and still sort of keeping the door open, saying if he gets the right offer, he could probably be tempted to come back. The fight analysts love Max Holloway. People who who go deep on this game, talking about, you know, how people how people uh, uh, handle themselves in the cage, think this guy is maybe the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. You know, one of these guys that, that is just kind of like a, a – a significant and important talent. So it'll be very interesting to see how he does going up uh, a weight class and fighting at 155. And frankly, you know, we can talk about how weird this fight is and how Dustin Poirier seemed like he was on the outs and now he's on the ins. But Max Holloway versus Dustin Poirier, I will fucking watch every day and twice on Sunday. It does seem to like a weird thing to do with Max Holloway because he's at 
kind of a, the top of the mountain. And I understand, too, why you'd think, all right, maybe I'll go up to lightweight and the legend of Max Holloway will only grow. But then when you go up there and you fight Dustin Poirier, who you've already fought before. You fought him in his first UFC fight, uh, his fifth pro fight for Max Holloway, in his first fight in the UFC. Uh, and I believe it was also his first fight at featherweight. He had been fighting as a lightweight and then dropped down to featherweight in the UFC and got beat by Dustin Poirier. I mean, he was very young. They are both pretty young. But Max Holloway, I think, I believe he was 12 years old at the time of this fight. That sounds right. Yeah, 12, 12 13. Um, still had that mustache, though. Uh, so Same mustache, same dinosaur shirt. Yeah, yes. The, the mustache goes a long way. But, you know, he, he lost. He got submitted by Dustin Poirier in that fight. And then, you know, he begins his climb back up and ends up as the Max Holloway you see now. If he goes up there and he beats Dustin Poirier, himself a former featherweight, for the interim lightweight title, what will that really do to change anybody's understanding of who Max Holloway is and how good he is? Makes him the champ interim champ. Yeah, that just doesn't sound that cool. Champ parenthetically interim champ. Yeah, it just I tell you, I'm not hearing it. I'm not hearing the the music in it, you know? Does this take an already kind of murky situation at 155 where your champion is suspended? Conor McGregor is, you know, uh, maybe ready to go, but like talking about Cowboy Cerrone, basically getting on social media. Never been more active on social media. Than calling out right everybody. Yeah. Thinking maybe, uh, maybe a rematch with Habib, maybe Cowboy Cerrone. You just you Maybe got a you, bunch of personal and legal problems. You had your interim champ in uh, Tony Ferguson, who now either wasn't available or couldn't come to terms for this fight. Does this solve anything, or does this just make us even more unsure as to where the most competitive division in the sport is even going? It solves absolutely nothing, and I don't necessarily think that it's meant to. I think it's just meant to give us something shiny to distract us in the meantime. You're telling me this is a time filler? That we're playing for time here? Look at this event itself. You got two interim titles on tap here. It feels like kind of the UFC looking at us, laughing and being like, ha ha, yeah, fuck you guys, gold belts for everybody. We don't care. Like, we know that you get sick of the interim titles, but... We want to put that gold on the poster, man. We're just going to do anything we want to do. And uh, you guys are going to shut up and you're going to buy it anyway. Because you are going to buy it. You want to see these two fights. You got Israel Adesanya and Kelvin Gastelum for the interim middleweight title. That's going to be a good fight. Dustin Poirier, Max Holloway. That's going to be good. I mean, people are going to be into it. And it's just like, hey, whatever. This is how we kind of keep track of who matters. Is We'll just pull a belt out of the... The supply closet. It doesn't have to be the belt. It could just be a belt. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll throw that around. Here you go. One of the best featherweight lightweights of the night, as Tito Ortiz might say. <laughs> Max Holloway must be the favorite here, right? I mean, I would guess. Let's take a look. Assuming that he is. And if we may look into the crystal ball a little bit here and say, Max Holloway wins this. Becomes the interim lightweight champion. The champ interim champ. You know what happens after that, right? I have no idea what happens after that. Interim featherweight title. Okay. We get the interim title begets another interim title because we don't know what's going on with Max Jose Holloway. Aldo and Alexander Volkanovsky fight for the interim featherweight title? Might as well. And on and on into infinity. Right. Where everybody is, a, is a, everybody who buys a ticket Tell you what. and comes to the UFC gets to be the interim champ. A boom time for the makers of belts. <laughs> Indeed, sir. I, I want to buy some stock in whatever metallurgist is churning out these belts because... 
they're going to see a stack of invoices showing up pretty soon. Uh, by the way, Max Holloway right now looking at about a minus 235, going as high as minus 280 some places, wow. a favorite over Dustin Poirier. Wow. So there you go. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, did you see this fight, or at least the highlights of this fight, between Michael Pereira and Kim Daesung over in Road FC? I believe I did. Did you watch this? Yeah, where he's uh, flipping off the cage. Road FC, a.k.a. the MMA organization from Korea that fills the CME's inbox up with their constant press releases. (laughs) Just constant. Every day we get a press release from Road FC. (laughs) Yes. This guy, Michael Pereira, goes out there in an open weight fight against Kim Dae-sung. And frankly, just in terms of like the getting off the bus metric, maybe there was a situation here where Michael Pereira was like, I can take some liberties okay. here against this fellow. Have some fun. He goes out there, flying knee, backflip, foot stomp over the guy's guard, Superman punch off the side of the cage into like a four or five punch combo, spinning hook kick. Tries to go off the cage again to drop a fist on uh, Kim Dae-sung when he's down. Backflip off the side of the cage after that. And that's the one where, I mean, he like grabs onto the cage to hold on for a second to get his feet up there to then do a backflip, which you can't do that, can you? I mean. Even in Road FC? Props to the ref here for, for at least trying to preserve the rules. Flying sidekick that actually lands yeah. to the face. Mm-hmm. And then Michael Pereira does all this shit, and he's like, well, none of this worked. So he basically just goes tie clinch and knees the guy till, till it's over. Bread and butter. You fucking kidding me. <laughs> I don't know whether to laugh or cry. You fucking kidding me. It's like where you're trying to do all the fancy Street Fighter moves, and you're looking in the booklet, and you're trying to do all this stuff. And then you realize, all right, no, I'm just going to back him into the corner and then like lower foot sweep over and over again. Let's just stick with the basics. The thing where he went... Like backflip off the side of the cage. That's where I was like, That's okay, okay, guy. Yeah. <laughs> I We're see what you're fun. doing. Yeah. And I like it, but let's bring it down a couple let's notches. Let's not get too crazy. Yeah. Jed, my, are you fucking kidding me? Did you see that uh, Dylan Dennis had his day in front of the Nevada State Athletic Commission? I did. Now, Dylan Dennis, who is basically being punished for being attacked by Khabib Nurmagomedov. Yeah. Now, you could say, like, he he instigated it or he escalated it. He's yelling at Khabib from the other side of the cage. You could also argue that that's fairly normal MMA corner man behavior at times in a heated fight. But then Khabib jumps over the fence, goes after him. Dylan Danis gets fined $7,500 and a seven-month suspension, retroactive to October 6th, the date of the event. But it means... He's not eligible to fight until May 6th. Now, Khabib, if he had filmed that PSA, which sadly it appears he is not going to do, because it would have been hilarious. I would love to see it. If he had done that, uh, according to the NSAC request, he would have been eligible to return in April. Huh. He would have gotten a one-month shorter suspension than the guy he attacked. Fucking Hmm. kidding me? Fucking kidding me? NSAC is just making this shit up as they go. Hell just yeah, they are. Constantly. 75K, not chump change. 7,500. Oh, $7,000? $7, yeah. Yes. Okay, I was going to say not chump change for like Dylan It's like a used Dennis, Honda but. Civic, you know? Buy Ronda Rousey's Honda Civic. You're right. Sell it. Pay off the, the NSAC. Offer to make an anti-bullying PSA. Okay. You're back in the game, man. Make sure whoever you sell it to knows that all the stuff she glued onto the dashboard comes with the car, though. That's not coming off. That's there for good. That's going to go for round number one. 
We'll be right back. Round number two. You know what is not one of those phony-ass interim belts? The welterweight strap around Tyron Woodley's waist. Fat. That one is going up for grabs against Kamaru Usman. And it looks like uh, we're going to have ourselves at least a little bit of a grudge match situation. You had them get into like some heated war of words stuff early on. You have them both having similar strengths and similar styles. And you have a legitimate welterweight title fight here. What's your pumped level of this? Because I got to be honest, I keep going, oh, yeah, that's this weekend, too. Like, I, it's it, somehow it just keeps getting buried under all the other stuff. Yeah, it does feel a little like it can get lost in the shovel shuffle just because, uh, you know, John Jones versus Anthony Smith is an interesting fight. And, and you know, anytime you got John Bones Jones on the card, you're going to pay attention to that. Plus, Ben Askren coming in and then, like we talked about earlier, uh, this slobber knocker of a preliminary card. Uh, but I think this is, has the makings of being a super good fight. Like Tyron Woodley has this wrestling background. Kamar Usman has a wrestling background. Uh, they're both, uh, they both pack a lot of power in their strikes. You know that they'll both got there and crack if they, if they have to, or if they want to. So like, I'm super interested to see how these two guys match up, especially since, um, you know, Tyron Woodley is a guy that, that I think, uh, is the best 170 pounder in the world right now and, and absolutely deserves to be the champion. But at the same time, uh, is, uh, like you said, a champion who feels like he gets lost in the shuffle a little bit here. So I feel like to have a tough, uh, and game opponent like Kamaru Usman may well bring out the best in Tyron Woodley. And if he gets himself into a crackerjack of a fight here, kind of just what the doctor ordered for a guy who sometimes it feels like he spends a lot of time on the sidelines, even though he actually does not. Yeah. Well, maybe it's because the president of the company is talking like he can he has to drag him into the cage to defend his belt, which he's honestly one of the more active champions. Uh, what do you think are the odds that we will get an actually fun-to-watch fight? Because I could see it, you know, them ending up in a kind of an interesting close-in dogfight situation. I could also see them both standing there staring at each other for a long time. Because if you're—I mean— if you're Kamara Usman, you don't want to get knocked out by Tyron Woodley. True. You don't want to just go charging in there. You also probably don't feel that confident about your ability to just rush in there, scoop him up, and slam him the way you have done to some other people because Tyron Woodley doesn't play that shit. Yeah, that's possible. I mean, I feel like I have this idea in my head that Kamara Usman is a, a, a fearsome stoppage machine, and yet you look at his record and he's got seven decisions in his last eight fights. Some of those he was at like 30% though. That's true. Are you taking into account the percentage? That's true. Uh, you know, this will also be uh, like a significant step for him in his career. Obviously, he's coming off wins over Rafael Dos Anjos and, and Damian Maya, so he's fought some really good guys uh, at this weight. But at the same time, uh, you never know how the first title opportunity is going to affect somebody, especially since Tyron Woodley was along for a while known as a guy who couldn't win the big one. Remember that? When that was the knock against Tyron Woodley? So... Uh, I feel like Kamaru Usman is is a guy who's got all the skills, but at the same time is a guy that we're still sort of trying to get uh, a blueprint on, a full understanding of. And, you know, he was on the short list of a bunch of guys that could have got this title fight. He's the one who's going to get it. So let's get it. 
I feel like one of the big differences is that I don't think Tyron Woodley is going in there worried about one big punch from Kamaru Usman. Yeah. But if you're Kamaru Usman, you do have to worry about that with Tyron Woodley. And one of the things that I think makes Tyron Woodley at times frustrating to watch is also one of his great strengths, which is that because of his wrestling ability and it gives him the power to kind of dictate where a fight takes place. It makes him hard to take down as somebody else who wants to get on the ground like Demian Maya did. Uh, it also makes it so that he is constantly a threat to take you down if he decides he wants to do that. But then since he also has the one punch power, it makes it so that you can't just go in there and try to pressure him. You can't just charge forward against a guy like that. And sometimes he ends up in the situation where the other person is trying to navigate around that that ability that he has to decide where the fight goes. And he is patient almost to a fault. Yeah. Like he's not going to do anything dumb, but sometimes that means not doing much at all. Right. Yeah. And this is kind of an interesting matchup for him too, just because we don't totally know how Kamaru Usman's going to, going to handle it. You know, Tyron Woodley is an interesting guy in the landscape of the UFC, especially since he kind of seems to be at odds with management. A lot of the time, if you are, Tyron Woodley, I wonder what you're even thinking about what's going on in the weight class right now. Because, you know, you, you fought Steven Thompson twice. You beat Damian Maya. You beat Darren Till, who by the time you got to UFC 228, really outclassed Darren Till at that point and felt like uh, they threw Darren Till in there because they needed a guy. And yeah, Darren they Till had a, a welterweight title. It's a welterweight title fight on the calendar. And then they're just like, we're going to have somebody go in there. Kind of what they were doing here where they were like, Kamaru Usman yeah. is going to fight somebody for the welterweight title. You got Colby Covington floating around out there. It was kind of a horse race between Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington to see who was going to get the the title shot. You know, uh, if I was Tyron Woodley, I don't think that you could really blame me if I was looking around being like, where's my big money fight? You know, the light heavyweight champion gets them. The uh, middleweight champion gets them. Where's mine? Yeah. Like I'm fighting... They're not nobodies, but they're also not Habib Nurmagomedov or or guys who are going to move the needle in any significant way. Well, do you think that if Tyron Woodley goes out there, let's say a best case scenario for Tyron Woodley, he goes out there and he knocks out Kamaru Usman in the first round, just absolutely dominates him and finishes him spectacular fashion. Everybody's going, wow, Tyron Woodley, he really is the man. Does Tyron Woodley just get on the mic and try to make something happen for himself? Does he say, where is Colby Covington's punk ass at? Like, yeah. like, give me that. Like, you know, does he try to go out there and generate a little bit of heat for himself with someone? Or does he just kind of sit there and be like, all right, bring me the next guy. Like, let me know the next time it says welterweight title fight on the calendar, and I guess I'll be there. Well, Colby Covington is also just sort of that guy, right? Like, they're, you know, if he beats Kamara Usman, he beats Darren Till, he beats Stephen Thompson. It's not as though there's a lot of other... 170 pound contenders knocking the door down to fight Tyron Woodley next at the same time. Like I kind of feel bad for Tyron Woodley because he's so good that if he went out there, wins this fight and is like, where's Conor McGregor at? He'll come up here and fight Nate Diaz at 170. Why doesn't he come up here and take a shot at the title? We would all be like, ha, 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 ha. No way. There's no way that happens. Nope, no way. And he said the same thing about George St. Pierre. Did you, like when 
after or around the time of St. Pierre's retirement last week, Ty Woodley was like, George St. Pierre turned down the opportunity to fight me. I was like, you're goddamn yeah, right he did. Should, yeah, he of did. Of course he did. You think George St. Pierre is going to come out there and just get manhandled by yeah. Tyron Woodley? George St. Pierre can do a risk-reward analysis just the same way the rest of us can. So Tyron Woodley is one of these guys who has the unfortunate equation of being super tough and kind of like being the lowest uh, pay-per-view payout for any of these guys. Do you think the problem is they all listen to the song and they're like, oh, he'll beat my ass? Maybe. He says it like 60 times in the song and it, they, the message really got to them and they were like, oh, damn. And at the same time, if you're, that. if you're Tyron Woodley, like I, I don't know that you could move up because there's a mess at middleweight right now and like we're doing crazy fights at lightweight for Max Holloway is in there. So you're kind of stuck. And like that, that makes me feel somewhat bad for Tyron Woodley because he's clearly one of the best fighters in the world, you know, at any of those weights. Although if I'm Tyron Woodley and I'm thinking about choosing my moment when I might want to go up there to middleweight and make a challenge, if Israel Adesanya gets his hands on a belt and I'm Tyron Woodley, I'm going, okay, and now. I mean, you might as well. I would like a middleweight title fight now. You might as well, especially on this card. You're on the, you're right before John Jones. Probably a lot of people are going to watch this fight. If you beat Kamaru Usman, this is probably the best chance that you're going to get to call somebody out. So you better be ready for something. And I'm and middleweight is such a train wreck right now that if Tyron Woodley was like, I'll go up and, and fight whoever, I would be like, okay, that's a decent, decent attempt at least. Fun fact about Tyron Woodley, he'll beat your ass in real life. Yeah. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. It's one of the truest songs that we've, yes, we've heard. One of the truest thus rap far. lyrics I've ever heard. He will beat you ass in real life. You think he wins this? What are the odds? Yeah. You're looking at him. Uh, he's just slightly under a two to one favorite. I'm kind of surprised it's that close because I, I do think he just matchup wise. I mean, I think Kamaru Usman's a good fighter and uh, be an interesting challenge, but I think all the signs for me point to Tyron Woodley winning this. But he also may win it by five round total fucking snooze fest. Be prepared for that. After this I is got over, the proper twelve though. Don't worry. Do you we think that? Do you think we get a, a video from Colby Covington? Maybe there's a young lady there. He's leaned up against the wall. People need to stop taking those jobs from Colby Covington. I don't. <laughs> he can't be paying that much for one thing, and there's just no price where it's worth it. It's it is the most demeaning thing you could possibly do is be a like uncredited actress in one of those Colby Covington videos. You don't think that she's putting that on her IMDb? I I hope not. I hope. Uh, do you think maybe the woman, the women are like, okay, I'll do it if only if the only part of me people see is my ass because I don't want my parents to know that I did this Colby Covington video. <laughs> I don't want anybody to be able to look at my face and see the shame that lurks in there. That's gonna do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. UFC 235 marks a new era in the career of John Jones. One where he's showing up to work on time. Mm-hmm. He's okay. going to straighten up and fly right. Probably going to fight four, five, six times this year. 
He's just going to be the model champion from here on out, starting with a big win over Anthony Smith, right? Is that what we're all hoping for here? And then right back to church in the gym? Yeah. Get He'll get in bed, get get to bed early that night. Okay, yeah. Get up early in the morning, get a run in, mm-hmm. and then straight back to the garage for uh, hit the heavy bag. Maybe uh, have a cheat day where instead of eating regular Cheerios, he eats Honey Nut. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Meals on wheels, take some uh, meals to the elderly, and he's right back in the gym. But he's not going to accept any meals from the elderly because you got to make sure that they're not sticking any Turinabol in your shit. Yeah, you don't want anybody to, to, to use the eyedropper to put Turinabol in, in their mac and cheese or nope. whatever. No. Okay. Maybe we don't want to look that far down the road for John Jones. Let's take it one step at a time. Okay. That, that's probably the truest thing that's ever been said on this show. Okay. Let's take it one step at a time yeah. for John Jones. Um, he goes out there against Anthony Smith this Saturday. By the way, John Jones, right now, about an 8-1 to one favorite in wow. this fight. 8-1, to one, huh? It says, it's, some places have him as high as 10-1. to one. That's the highest odds. Well, actually, one... One place that I see online has him fourteen to one. Now, I mean, come on, Anthony Smith's not Priscilla Cashuera here, right? And she's not had, Jan Finney. If you had twenty bucks, you never wanted to see again. What do I get on Anthony Smith? Plus seven hundred. Do it seven to one. Good lord, do it! <laughs> if you don't need that twenty bucks, if you're planning on, if the if your two options are feel good about John Jones winning or making a bunch of money. Okay, let's but say do it. You win either way. Say I'm wandering around the MGM Grand in Vegas this weekend, or say I'm say I'm down there at Treasure Island. I'm looking at the sports book. Wait, why Treasure Island? It'll become clear. Okay, <laughs> I I got twenty bucks in my hand. I was gonna walk up to the bar and get one of those crazy mixed drinks that comes in a giant skull glass that okay. you get to keep. This suddenly has become the second truest thing ever said on this show. <laughs> I was going to go get one of those. It's gonna. I know the drink's going to give me a headache, but it's going to be fun for a few minutes, and I get to keep the skull glass, Chad. But then I walk by the sports book, and I see Anthony Smith, 7-1. to one. You're saying the long-term play for my future <laughs> is to throw that 20 bucks down on Anthony Smith. You feel like there's even remotely a chance that Anthony Smith goes out there and solves the puzzle, cracks the John Jones code. Or is my 20 bucks betting that John Jones is going to go out there and turn an ankle? First of all, we all know you would lose the skull glass immediately. You would leave it on the strip somewhere. Oh, no, I'm breaking it. I'm, I'm definitely. That thing's not real glass. That's got to be plastic. It's right? glass. Well, it was the last time that I went there and got one of those glass. I know because I got one and I broke it. <laughs> <laughs> Treasure Island is truly a magical place. I broke it like broke like. Like three days later, but still. Look, man, we all know Anthony Smith's not going to beat John Jones, but he might. <laughs> He's a okay, legitimate but- fighter. Anthony Smith is a professional mixed martial arts fighter. Winner of three in a row. Rashad Evans, Mauricio Hua, Vulcan Uzdemir. He could win this. He could He could knock John Jones out. He's not gonna, but he could. Do you think there's a better chance... Of saying, like, Anthony Smith is going to go out there and beat John Jones, or MMA going to MMA, and something weird is going to happen, and, like, John Jones blows out his ACL or something, and that's how Anthony Smith wins. Well, John Jones damn near t- tore a toe off against Chael Sonnen. That's true. So, yeah, anything could happen. 
I'm saying knowing that you might as well put the 20 down on Anthony Smith. If you are in Anthony Smith's corner and you're, we're working on how we're going to beat John Jones. I mean, the way he beat Vulcan Ozdemir is by going out there and kind of in his words, knowing like, all right, this is going to be a tough one. Like I'm probably going to have to take some shots. I'm going to have to wear him down a little bit. And then if I can get him into later rounds and kind of survive, then I can beat him there. If that's got to be your strategy against Vulcan Ozdemir, how do you go against John Jones? What are you telling yourself? What are they telling him? Like, here's what we're going to do to this guy. Here's the weakness we're going to attack. Like, here's our path to victory. What does it even look like? Yeah, um, it's a tough one, obviously. Anthony Smith is saying that he doesn't think about John Jones at all, that John Jones is is a faceless guy on the body of another opponent. Nope. Do not buy it for a second. To which I still think, man, the body still belongs to John Jones, though. It's a very big body. You're laying there in bed at night, you know, as this fight gets closer. You can't tell me that there aren't some moments where you're thinking about all the stuff that John Jones can do and, like, his physical attributes and going, okay, some of that's going to be a problem. Like, he's not just, he's not going, it's not you going out there against a decrepit Shogun Hua. Some of it clearly is going to be a problem for former middleweight Anthony Smith. But I think if you're in his corner, right, you you got to uh, fall back on the punching power. Like this is a guy who can who can go out there and crack. He can stop people with his hands. I don't know that we've ever seen John Jones get hit super hard. I mean, Daniel Cormier is probably uh, the the best example that we have. But I think if you're if you're in the corner of Anthony Smith, you got to keep it simple. You gotta hope that John Jones makes a mistake, and you gotta you gotta land a shot and and see what happens. If he takes it, we go from there. But like you just you blast him in his face and see. roughneck him. Are you yeah. are you saying that you're gonna roughneck <laughs> yeah, him? Man. Is that basically your, what your plan to is? Roughneck John Jones. Well, don't you think if you're Anthony put your Smith, hands on him, Scotty? That's yes. what we're gonna do. If you're Anthony Smith, you gotta kind of dance with the skills that brought you, right? Yeah, and like do. you're a striker. You got to try to keep it upright. Be careful. Don't make any mistakes. And if you get the chance, you land a big one. Sure. But also, if you're looking at dancing with the skills that brung you as Anthony Smith, isn't some of the stuff that brung you stuff that you don't have against John Jones the way you had it against other people? Because he, you know, he's six four. He was a big dude, super you know, big rangy dude for middleweight, still a pretty big rangy dude for light heavyweight. And he used that to, you know, strong effect against a bunch of people. And yet you go in there against John Jones and he's kind of got you surrounded. He is bigger, longer. He's able to make use of his reach better. His, the diversity of his striking game is greater than yours. And he's probably going to be better on the ground than you are too. Like, what are you telling yourself is like, here's what I've got over this guy. Is it just grit and toughness? Yeah. Because that sounds like a bad night. John Jones is a bad night for everyone. There's not a fighter on this planet that like is going to go into a John Jones fight. You know, maybe with the exception of Daniel Cormier's wrestling ability. I don't know that there's a fighter on the planet that's going to go into a matchup with John Jones being like, well, I got him. I'm way better at him here. Yeah. And Anthony Smith is a big dude. He's 6'4", 76 inch reach. Like, you know, that's not a John Jones reach, but like he, he, it'll be interesting to see these guys, uh, at the weigh ins, at the stare downs, kind of see how they appear to match up physically. 
Because just on paper, you would think that Anthony Smith has the physicality to not just be completely bum-rushed by John Jones. But at the same time, like, John Jones is a different kind of 6'4", 205 pounds. He's just, an, uh, like, an unbelievable uh, athlete in that weight class. And as I've said time and time again on the show, like, I don't even know if you realize it until you see him in person, and then you're like, this man is a monster at this weight. Uh, and Anthony Smith, you know, he may not have that, but he should be... Like he physically, I think he should be up to a competitive fight here. And I don't know if skills wise, if that's what we're going to see, but like, I mean, you're a professional MMA fighter. This is, if you're Anthony Smith, you've been in the game a long damn time. You've had a lot of fights. This is your chance. Go out there and bring it home. Bring it home for the people of Corpus Christi. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, I like Anthony Smith. Yeah, everybody see, likes Anthony Smith. Yeah, which I think is one of the things that's going to make this difficult to watch. Because I think probably what he has spent a lot of time doing in preparation for this fight is trying not to let himself get intimidated by John Jones. Yeah. Like the way you've seen, you know, Mike Tyson used to do it to people. Ronda Rousey would do it to people. Where you could see that they had gone in there with a little bit of a of a fragile mindset that was easily broken because a part of them didn't really believe that they could beat this person. And so then as soon as you see something that reinforces that, and as soon as it starts to go against you, you're going, well, shit, part of you is just going, I knew this was going to happen. I think he's probably working very hard to make sure that he does not go in there like that. Yeah. I will be interested if we get out of the first round and he goes back to his corner, I'll be interested to see what the look on his face is then. Because I think that when you get up there and you run up against a guy like John Jones, it's hard not to realize that you're in over your head. I mean, I I think it would be a, like a great story if Anthony Smith goes out there and it turns out that he really does know something the rest of us don't. And he is going to have to, like his biggest struggle is really going to be trying to stay humble in the post-fight interview. I, For his sake, I kind of hope that that is the big problem. And yet you look at it, every aspect of it on paper and it looks like dreams are getting crushed this night. You know that I am uncomfortable as a long-time viewer of MMA, I'm un- uncomfortable with the matchup where we don't even give the one guy credit. Yes, I know. Because I watched you know this, this shit goes. for a long yeah. time, <laughs> yes. and it is totally possible that John Jones turns his ankle on the way to the cage, and then you get a crazy outcome. Could happen. It could. I've seen it happen too many times. So we'll see what happens <laughs> on Saturday night, UFC 235. I'll be at your house. So you got that going for you. I'll tell you what. If uh, Anthony Smith wins, we celebrate with a couple shots of the proper 12. Good Lord. And if Anthony Smith loses and gets his dreams crushed and it's very sad, we uh, wash away our sorrows with some proper 12. Okay. Sounds good. One way or another. Notes of Band-Aid, I believe, was some of the tasting uh, commentary. Also, as Sir Nigel observed, tastes like the inside of a light bulb. It's not good. All right. Let's do Just Saying Stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, what is your Just Saying Stuff? Chad, tell me you saw this video from the IBJJF competition yeah. uh, in uh, Sao Paulo. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> okay. Familiar with so, it. So my understanding is what happened is that the dude says he suffers a knee injury early on in this grappling match. People are uh, yelling at him from the side of the crowd, yelling at him from the side of the mat, giving him shit, whatever. And he jumps up sprints off the mat, which is on a raised platform, and begins attacking people in the crowd. And at one point, 
rushes back onto the raised platform, chases some guy all the way across it, and then jumps on him from there. I'm just saying, if you are trying to get people to believe that you have a knee injury, and if you're mad at them for not believing it, maybe the best course of action is not to sprint after them and attack them. Yeah. Because it really kind of suggests that maybe they are right to question the knee injury in the first place. I'm just saying. Just saying. Ben, did you see this, that uh, PFL is going to be on ESPN? Yeah, just saw an email about it's gonna that. It's going to be on ESPN Plus and ESPN2? And ESPN Deportes. That's pretty weird, right? Uh-huh. I mean, we've never actually seen a relationship like this before, at least not for a long time, with the UFC sharing its uh, its broadcast platform with another MMA promotion. Unusual. It's unusual. I wonder if the folks at ESPN got a phone call today from uh, Las Vegas area code. Guy not too happy. I think it was a 702 number. Threatening them to fuck them up worse than they've ever been fucked up before. Or if they had prior to this gotten a call from the 702 area code that was like, hey, here's maybe something you should do. That is also true. You like to think that they asked first. I guess I'm just saying, though, is ESPN out here trying to fight past the UFC? Is that what we're doing? We're just like putting all the MMA promotions that we can get on ESPN Plus? Man, if Road FC ends up on the Ocho. Don't worry. We'll get a press release about it. We'll be the first to know. (laughs) We will be the first to know. That's going to do it for this week's Co-Main Event Podcast. We will be back next week. We will tell you about all the stuff that happens at UFC 235. Looking forward to that. Uh, And then we're going to turn the page on to UFC Fight Night 146. Derek Lewis versus Junior Dos Santos. Oh, boy. So that's one. Yeah. That'll be one for the ages. Mm -hmm. As for right now, though, we're done. We're through. We are out. I can buy a replacement.